Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and in last week's episode, we went over part one of Missing Jessica Van Zant Dietzel. We went over how she was reported missing on March 1st, the hassle her mother went through to actually get her recognized as a missing person, and then tracked down her movements in the days leading up to her disappearance, all stopping on February 18th around 12.30 a.m. where she last messaged her friend that she was at the Deep South Motel. With the assistance of Jessica's mom, Christina, and her friend, Leah, let's keep digging into her case. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Our timeline of Jessica's last known whereabouts so far is February 13th at Fish Guy's Tent, February 14th at the End Market convenience store where her food stamps card was declined, February 16th, the last time her new boyfriend PJ says he saw her, February 17th, the day Anonymous says she saw Jessica and PJ together at a very specific location in town, and she is very adamant that they were there together. And, of course, on February 18th, when she used Phone Guy's phone and messaged Messenger Guy that she was at the Deep South Motel. Her last outgoing contact to anyone was around 12.30 a.m. that morning, and by 10 a.m., when Messenger Guy tried to call her back, he got no response. Now, as time goes on, little tidbits of information come out to fill in more of the gaps and to confuse the shit out of you, or more so, make you question everyone, at least once. We knew Fish Tent Guy had that note from Jessica in his tent. I was able to get a copy of that note, and it was actually about Valentine's Day. She wrote, Happy Valentine's Day, enter name here. Love, Jessica Van Zant, 21420. You heard that correctly. She dated it. The name, like we said in the last episode, was a similar name to Fish Tent Guy's real name, but they spell their first names different by one letter. Jessica actually crossed out the different letter and changed it to the way that Fish Tent Guy spelled his name. And the photos taken of her in his tent were from February 13th, but the note is dated the 14th. 
Those of you who looked at the photos of this case in Jessica's Instagram highlight at the top of my profile at the Heather Ashley know that we noticed she was wearing the same shirt in Fish Tent Guy's tent on the 13th as she was in the N Market convenience store CCTV footage that was taken on the 14th. So it looks like between the two days, she didn't have a change of clothes. Knowing her photo was taken in Fish Guy's tent on the 13th, the note was found in his tent but dated for the 14th, and she was wearing at least the same shirt on the 13th and 14th. It seems more and more possible that she stayed the night with him that night. Now, we can only assume that, but it's an assumption based on the pieces of the puzzle that we can put together. Jessica's brother actually says that he saw his sister on the 17th, the day that Anonymous says she's adamant that she saw Jessica and PJ together at that unnamed location. I know the location, but I've been asked to keep that close to the vest. The interesting thing about her brother seeing her on the 17th, though, was that she wasn't alone. She was riding in the car with someone else. We'll call him Car Guy. Jessica's brother says that Jessica told him she was on her way to see Kenny, her estranged husband who had just bonded out of jail. It turns out that Car Guy's been mentioned by a few people in regards to Jessica, but as of yet, nothing has come of it and it does look like police have talked to him. I was able to get a look at Jessica's messenger history through her mom Christina and Leah, and let's dive into that. We'll start with her newer boyfriend, PJ, the one who's Jessica's mother's age. On the 16th, the last day that he says he saw her, he started talking to her about coming to get her from somewhere at 3.51 a.m. He tried calling her a few times, and at 5.04 a.m., she called him back. PJ told her that he was on the way at 5.26 a.m. She called him on Messenger at 5.30 a.m., and they talked for a little over a minute and a half. When they hung up, he messaged her a voice memo, which looks like it's now gone. She sent him an address, but the address wouldn't show up on the map for him, and it wouldn't show up on the map for me either. So I took out the house number and ran the street name and found a house number that was one number off from the address that she gave PJ. I ran the new address by Christina, and she said that it was the address of someone they knew. We'll call him Star Wars Guy. This was new information for them. We can only assume PJ picked her up from Star Wars Guy's house that morning, but I think it's a fair assumption. Between then and the 18th, I can't see the date, something happened. PJ messaged her about being done with her if she left him the night prior to go see Church Tent Guy, which is interesting because in a conversation Leah had with PJ after Jessica was reported missing, he tells her that Jessica had hooked up with Church Tent Guy, something that I didn't see coming based on his interactions with Christina and Leah. He had mentioned doing drugs with her and seemed honestly ashamed of it, but having sex with her isn't something that ever came up. But that's not even the most shocking part. In PJ's conversation with Leah, he drops a bombshell. PJ says that before Jessica went missing, she told him that she thought she was pregnant with his baby. That's really fucking important information, and we don't know if there was a pregnancy test or any confirmation of this whatsoever. PJ mentions that he asked her if it could be church tent guy's baby because they had recently hooked up, according to him, and he says that Jessica believed it was PJ's baby. 
Now, in this conversation with Leah, PJ gets a little upset for a minute, talking about how this is double for whoever did this because she was pregnant. This stuck with me because we're talking about a missing person at this point. We're not talking about a murder investigation, but he's talking about this like it is. He goes on about how he pictured his child and seemed attached and excited at the prospect of finally having a child at 45, and as emotional as that conversation could be, he then quickly changed the subject to an ancient Indian burial ground in his backyard and the arrowheads people find in it. It was fucking weird. He then talks about Kenny and how Kenny had sent him photos of a bag, a shovel, a hoe, and a shoe. I haven't personally seen these pictures, so I don't know what the bag in the photo looked like. If you guys follow the photos of this case and Jessica's highlight on my Instagram, you know that her beige purse, a black and clear Mary Kay bag filled with notebooks and colored pencils, and a camo duffel bag of hers have never been found, so the mention of a bag intrigues me. He does note that he gave the photos Kenny sent him to the police. Now, let's move on to Kenny's messages. When it comes to Kenny's messages in Jessica's messenger account, it looks like there was no contact between them at all via that platform around the time she disappeared. In fact, prior to her going missing, the last time they'd contacted one another on messenger was in August. And that kind of adds up. I mean, he was in jail and Jessica's cousin had reportedly messaged her on the 14th, letting her know that Kenny was out on bond. And Jessica's response was for her cousin to let Kenny know where she was staying. So that's kind of it until later. But let's get to the activity from the last night she was heard from when she was messaging messenger guy from phone guy's phone. On the night of February 17th, 2020, Jessica uses phone guy's phone to message messenger guy and says, hey, what are you doing? I'm at deep S and it feels like 101 to 102 degrees outside. Call me, please. Now, from what I understand, this was some kind of code. It was February in Georgia. The high that day was 78 and the low was 47. Her family believes Jessica was referencing police presence outside, but we can only assume. After that, she sends a message to him saying, call me please or come see me at least. I know for a fact it's out and I need to see something ASAP. Knowing that she had told PJ that she thought she was pregnant and there was any question as to whose baby it might be, I'm starting to wonder if her being pregnant is what got out. And that when she said she needed to see something ASAP, she meant someone. She followed it up with a text saying, I know I'm in too deep, and then tried to video chat with him, but he missed the call. Messenger Guy responds to Jessica and asks her what she means, and she tries to video chat him again, but he doesn't answer. She messages him, Man, I'm about to leave this room. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt and now look at me. Looking hurt and stupid. Ugh, I'm going to sleep. But she didn't. That last message was at 11.45 p.m. on the 17th. At 12.39 a.m., almost an hour later on the 18th, she tries to voice call Messenger Guy, but he doesn't answer. She tries again at 12.44 a.m. and one last time at 12.45 a.m. 
At 10.59 a.m. on the 18th, it looks like Messenger Guy wakes up or just finally looks at his messages and sees all the missed messages and calls, so he tries to call Jessica back, but she doesn't answer, so he messages her to call him, and as we all know, she never did. She never spoke to anyone after that last attempt to call Messenger Guy at 12.45 a.m. on February 18th of this year. This whole time, everything seemed to center around drugs and maybe even a small amount of prostitution. But knowing that Jessica thought she might be pregnant, things are starting to look a little different. Her comment about feeling hurt and looking stupid makes a lot more sense if we're talking about a possible pregnancy. Now that we've gone over Jessica's contact with people prior to her going missing and the last time she was ever heard from, let's take a look at who tried to make contact with her after the 18th and what they said. Let's start again with PJ, the boyfriend. On the 19th, he sent her a message that said, Guess you and Fish Tent Guy are doing okay. Guess I'm about to get out of this hellhole for a while. Please take care of yourself and do whatever it takes to get that baby girl back because she needs her mother. Love you. And as far as I know, he didn't go anywhere significant for any significant period of time after this message. On the 20th, he asks her if she's okay. He asked her if she was okay again on the 22nd, then called her, but obviously she didn't answer. Four hours later, he sent her a giant blue thumbs up and even later that day asked again if she was okay and told her that he was worried about her. On the 26th, he tried calling her, but she didn't answer. On the 27th, he asked her what she was doing. And on March 1st, around the same time Christina, Jessica's mom, spoke to him, he messaged Jessica, where are you? Are you okay? PJ tried contacting her pretty consistently after she went missing, and his emotions seemed to range from hurt, care, curiosity, possibly annoyed, and even concerned. Kenny also messaged her after the 18th, but it was six days later on the 24th, and it seemed to come out of left field. He messaged her, do us both a favor and take my last name off your page. How thirsty of a hoe are you? I mean, you fucked damn near everyone in my family and most of Albany. It's a complete disgrace being married to you, merry-go-round. And by the way, you fucked up when you stole from dealer guy. Jessica's mom verified this story, telling me that Dealer Guy was a well-known drug dealer in the area with gang affiliations, and he was someone in the circle of people Jessica ran with. She tells me that the feds raided him and Jessica hid his drugs for him, but then went back and got them and ripped him off. Dealer Guy wound up going to jail, but died in October of 2019. So while that could be a major concern, Dealer Guy couldn't have been the one who did whatever was done to Jessica because he died four months before she disappeared. That being said, I've been told that his operation was taken over after he passed away and that the new head of Dealer Guy's previous operation is more cutthroat than he was. So we can't cross this off the list just yet. But continuing on with Kenny's messages to Jessica, he tells her that her and random guy, I'm trying to keep this easy, 
are lucky and that it's a shame that she has no standards at all. He tells her, heroin got you strung the fuck out, but you chose that lifestyle, so be happy with it. His messages were oddly timed, seeing as they don't look like they were in response to anything and no one had seen or heard from her in six days. But what's even more interesting is that Kenny had the Text Now app. But what's even more interesting is that Kenny wound up having the Text Now app on his phone and rewind back to February 19th, the day after she was last heard from, Kenny texted someone named Jessica asking if it was Jessica Van Zant. And his first question to this Jessica when they confirmed that their name was in fact Jessica, it was, you alive? It wasn't our Jessica. But on the day after she was last heard from, he was trying to figure out what her number was. And when he texted who he hoped was her, he asked her if she was alive. Once word officially got out that Jessica had been reported missing, everyone and their mom came out of the woodwork with a rumor on what they heard had happened to her. One girl wrote on Facebook that she'd had two people tell her that Jessica OD'd and had been thrown in the river. Another person contacted the family saying that Jessica had been hanging out with this guy that we'll call Manny. She says that Jessica OD'd and that they'd removed her body from his house and that he was currently on the run. The person who told the family this said that the door to his house was now wide open, the TVs were all on, there was stuff thrown all around the house, including his drugs that he did not take with him if he was, in fact, on the run. In another instance, a local who's well-known in the drug community in Albany picked up his phone and called Jessica's mother himself and told her, and I quote, she overdosed and they threw her ass in the river. Those are the exact words he told the mother of a missing girl, that someone had thrown her daughter's ass in the river. If you take one thing away from this case, just one thing, please let it be to never speak to the family of any missing or murdered persons that way. Another woman called Christina and Leah saying that on the night of the 17th, Kenny had called her and asked her to pick her up from Pick Avenue. He seemed pretty shaken up and repeatedly asked if she was on her way. He was adamant that he wanted out. We don't know if she ever did pick him up or not because she wanted to distance herself a bit from the case, but interesting nonetheless. Fast forward a little bit and Jessica's mother has someone calling her saying that someone they know told them that they'd seen Jessica's body in a deep freezer. Now, this is third party information or maybe even fourth at this point. But what makes it interesting is that according to her, the woman who told her this says that the freezer was at a house on Pick Avenue. When Christina tracked down the woman who supposedly said this, she wanted nothing to do with it. She denied having ever said that and said that she didn't know why anyone would say that she did. But two totally unrelated parties all come back to something strange going on on Pick Avenue. And where there's two, there's three. A man getting put under anesthesia made a spontaneous comment about Jessica being put into a tub of acid. Now, this is a totally different story. It doesn't involve the river or a freezer, but he says it happened on Pick Avenue. 
As soon as that freezer story started making its way around town, people started calling the police when they saw freezers abandoned on the side of the road. And when it all seemed a little too crazy to believe, an informant got information that whoever did this to Jessica, they do name names, had in fact put her into a freezer but says that she was taken to the local landfill. And if you think Christina and Leah weren't going to chase down every single one of these stories, you'd be wrong. But these tips were just the tip of the iceberg. And if you think these were heinous and insane, just wait until the shit you hear next week, including all of the ways Christina and Leah oftentimes did the police work themselves before law enforcement even looked into them. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Jessica's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about the twists and turns that are this case and any other true crime that you want to talk about. Special thank you to Jessica's mom, Christina, and Leah for allowing me to dive into their daughter's case with them. I think it's safe to say that the Big Mad True Crime family is in this case for the long haul. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for only one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you the final part, part three, of Jessica's case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.